You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. This is Kent Hunter, founder of Church Doctor Ministries, with a great topic for every Christian, every church leader, every pastor. Here it goes, your church's mission, remaining effective in a changing world. This statement says it all. The only person who likes change is a baby with a wet diaper. (laughs) Yeah, it's a universal reality. Change is hard. Good change is necessary. And change that is good focuses on style, not substance. As COVID-19 took over the world like an evil storm, churches everywhere had to adapt. There may not be a Christ follower on earth who escaped the change in how to do church. Streaming worship services, online giving, communion at home or in a spaced-out sanctuary, hand sanitizer everywhere, the drinking fountain turned off, no handshakes, Masks everywhere, smiles hidden, and hugs forbidden. You might reflect, how did an invisible bug do so much damage to worship? (laughs) What did we learn? Well, we had a big reminder that even young and healthy people can die. We were reminded, life is fragile, more jeopardized than most of us ever thought. We also learned that you can do church differently. You can change the way you do life. Some discovered that a few things we were forced to change were better than the way we used to do it. Recently, I had a conversation with a pastor in the Midwestern United States. He wanted some advice about change and the church. Mostly, he wanted someone who would listen to him unload his frustrations. This pastor's frustration centered on the way we do communion. A few of the older members were feeling liberated from the COVID shutdown and wanted to reinstate the way we've always done it. You see, during the pandemic, the church had services with scattered seating. Their history was to have communion every Sunday, so they continued to follow that pattern. However, individual cups and wafers were provided at the entrance to the sanctuary. Worshippers would take communion at their seats. This COVID-forced change had a silver lining. It took far less time than the traditional approach where people would be ushered to the front, kneel in groups, receive the elements, be dismissed, and head back to their seats. In the pandemic approach, there was more time for preaching and worship. And some members thought that the change was great. Others couldn't wait to get back to the way we've always done it. Now, there is a group pressing the pastor 
to revive the previous system. Yet others have adapted and feel the worship time is more meaningful without all the time spent parading to the front. What is the pastor and leader to do? What is the real issue behind the issue? How does that issue impact the effectiveness of the mission? It is perhaps valuable to consider the context of how, when, and where Jesus instituted and modeled what has become known as the Lord's Supper. Actually, if you read about it with Jesus as a centerpiece, the meal was around a table. In Matthew 26, 26 to 28, it begins, Now as they were eating, Jesus provided this new blessing called the Lord's Supper. In the middle of a meal. Of course, that probably doesn't mean that you are required to have a potluck to provide communion. But Jesus did. <laughs> In Luke 22, 14 to 21, the scripture actually reverses the supper with the cup first and the bread afterward. Paul, on the other hand, writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11:23-25 for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after the supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Did you get that? Paul puts the supper in between the bread and the cup. The point? It's not the style that counts. You can have communion during the meal. You can follow Matthew's bread first, cup second. Or Luke, cup first, bread second. It's amazing how so many church people get fixated on style rather than substance. I share with you a little challenge I had with a suit and tie. Recently, I was asked to take a small part in a funeral in which the deceased and his surviving wife had become longtime friends of our family. The wife of the deceased asked the pastor specifically that he wear robes and that other participants, like me, wear suits and ties. It was an interesting wake-up call for me. In all my work with churches, I can't even remember the last time I wore a suit and a tie. I gladly responded to the spouse's wish, but I had two revelations. Number one. I almost couldn't button the top button of my shirt, which I have worn many times as an open collar. Apparently, my neck has grown. <laughs> Number two, it took me three tries to remember how to tie a tie. Now, I don't consider myself to be a rebel, on the one hand, or a clothes specialist, on the other. 
In truth, I don't think much about style. I focused most of my energy on substance. Why? It's what Jesus did. The challenge is clear. The culture constantly changes. The fact that Jesus came in the flesh and looked like the people around him is a clear signal about what missionaries call contextualization. The incarnation, that is, Jesus becoming flesh, is a clear and unmistakable signal that Christians should try to fit the culture they are called to reach, as long as it doesn't drift from scriptural truth. I knew there would be many older people in the funeral crowd, and, for many of them, a suit and a tie may be a signal of respect. Missionaries call this indigenous sensitivity. Without ever compromising the substance of Scripture, you remove any barriers and style that could roadblock the most important good news that anyone could ever hear. Why did I wear the suit and tie? Because Jesus came to earth looking like one of us. So I was going to look like one of them. But there are times when cultural issues confuse. Sometimes cultural issues prepare a clear path for the powerful message of the good news about Jesus. But cultural issues change. It is never appropriate to water down the truth of Scripture and accept the behaviors or customs that are contrary to God's Word. That's called syncretism, syncing up with everything in the culture in an attempt to get more people in church. It also eventually doesn't work. Even unbelievers respect substance and commitment. However, there are many cultural issues that are not related to biblical truth. Dress codes change over time. They are different in various cultures. I respect the Amish and their commitment to their beliefs, but they will never launch an effective movement to reach the rest of the world for Jesus. Cultural roadblocks can greatly hinder Jesus' commission to reach the world he died to save. There are so many other churches that are older. They were built in North America, but patterned after European styles of architecture. In this country, these older buildings present a message that no Christian would ever want to send to their unchurched neighbors. And that message would be Christianity, and maybe even Jesus, is out of date, irrelevant, and foreign. Now, the truth is, the medium is not the message. Yet, the medium always sends a message. And that message is either Jesus is relevant to my life in this very moment of time, or Jesus is out of date, irrelevant to my life, and the challenges I face. Dress codes do make a difference. Seating makes a difference. Music makes a difference. Steps make a difference. Bathrooms make a difference. 
Parking makes a difference. Words make a difference. The incarnate Jesus in the flesh makes all the difference. He came in the flesh to make a difference. He calls his people to make a difference. More than perpetuating worn out containers for the Savior who is as relevant as today's newscast, even more relevant. The doctrine, the teaching of Scripture, is an offense to our sinful nature. It calls us to change, to repent. Yet that doesn't give believers the right to be offensive about the love of Jesus. No Christian wants to be the roadblock to an unbeliever on the path to eternity, even if it includes your warm, fuzzy, archaic approaches, the way we've always done it. I love the story about the Kiowa people. When I was in mission school, I had the amazing privilege of knowing three of the most profound and influential teachers of missiology in the whole world. They will be household names in mission circles for a long time. They have since gone to be with the Lord, but their imprint on effective mission and mission work will live on. Those three men, Donald McGavern, Peter Wagner, and John Wimber, became my personal friends and imprinted me and thousands of others around the world. One day in class, Peter Wagner shared the story of the mission attempt to bring Christ to the indigenous Kiowa tribe in the early days of America. It is a story of failure to contextualize the good news of Jesus. The missionaries meant well, and so do many church leaders who cling to worn-out containers to carry the always fresh and powerful news of the gospel. These missionaries were dedicated and orthodox, committed to biblical truth. The challenge was their blindness to the Kiowa culture. When they shared the good news about Jesus, they dressed it in foreign containers and unintentionally roadblocked the context. So here's the backstory. The Kiowa were at first very receptive to the white man's religion. They were eager to learn about Jesus, who forgives wrongs, brings peace, and promises eternity. They could feel the love of the missionaries who introduced them to the good news. They could tell Jesus had changed their lives, and that's why they were motivated to bring that miracle to the Kiowa tribe. As the Kiowa responded to the Holy Spirit through the powerful gospel, the missionaries felt their next step was to organize them to build a church so they could worship. The whole tribe enthusiastically came together to build this worship structure. When the facility was ready, the time approached to have the first worship service. As the Kiowa realized this was the house of God, 
they began to question, Does God, your God, need a house? Can't we worship him on the mountain or the hillside? The missionaries made it clear, the place to find Jesus is in the house of God. As the launch day came closer, the missionaries spoke to the Kiowa men. You must cut your hair. It is not proper for the men who follow Jesus to have long hair. Only women have long hair. While this was a huge cultural departure from the Kiowa culture, the men agreed. Then the missionaries taught the men that they must dress differently to show respect for Jesus. They led the Kiowa men to dress in European shirts and pants and, as the Kiowa called it, tie up their neck. And the missionaries insisted that the men wear ties. Finally, the celebration day arrived. The worship service was prepared. The building was ready. As the Kiowa tribesmen entered the church, they saw their first picture of Jesus. A large painting hung on the wall. There was Jesus. Long hair, flowing robe, preaching on the hillside. (laughs) History records the Kiowa tribe was never reached for Christ at that time. The mission was a spiritual failure of eternal proportions. Think about yourself as an ambassador for Christ. Think about the people you know who are far from God, far from eternity with Jesus. Are you part of the solution or part of the challenge? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to your church? And what are you going to do about it? You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.